0: Riverside. What's going on everybody? Welcome back to the Backside Ground Balls Podcast. I'm here today on a Tuesday afternoon. I'm going to come to you live by myself here today because one of the things that we would like to dip our toes in a little bit is some college baseball coverage, uh, specifically at the Division One level. We have no problem covering Division Two and Division Three, as you've known, uh, considering we've had both Tom Riley at Goldie Beacom and Brian Tarasani at Arcadia on the podcast. But specifically, we do want to do a little bit of Division One baseball coverage, so I'm going to come to you with a short episode here today. Dan will be on a couple times when we do these episodes, and hopefully we'll be coming to you at least weekly to recap the weekend and and just talk about broad pictures of Division One college baseball. It's something that... Obviously, I'm passionate about it, something that Dan's passionate about. We can definitely get Colin's perspective on here at any given day. So um, we feel like we could definitely bring a different perspective and we're going to have some guests on from the college game across the Division I level. So uh, it'll be a nice little episode that we can get out once a week. That should be like 20 to 30 minutes. Just recap in the college baseball weekend, what we saw, if there were any games that we went to and just cover some topics on college baseball, which is obviously, like I said, something that we're p- passionate about. So coming out of weekend, weekend number one, uh, we're entering midweek of this week. I will actually be at the Campbell East Carolina game tonight, which I'm super excited about. It's a beautiful day here in Buies Creek, Lillington, North Carolina, and it's going to be 74 and, and some really good baseball between two, what I would deem top 25 teams. East Carolina is a top 10 team. Currently Campbell is not in the top 25. They're on the outside looking out in, the, in that 25 to 30 range. But one of the things that stood out to me, and this is as a college football fan specifically, the uselessness of preseason rankings, right? I saw so many people on social media arguing about how's Tennessee here? How's this team not higher? Preseason rankings are just content fodder. Let's call it what it is, content fodder. And I think that's a fair way to put it. It's just a way to fill time. It's a guesswork. You don't know who's what injuries are going to creep up. You don't know how teams are actually going to perform. So when you see these updated rankings, and I'm going to give you who I think is my top 10 in order from what I've seen, and obviously I'm one person, so... The reality of it is I didn't see every team play. I didn't see all the teams in my top 10. I'm going a little bit off of knowledge and a little bit off of past and then a little bit off of what I've seen. So that's pretty much what preseason rankings are because they've never played. So just understand that don't get all bent out of shape because Tennessee's too high in my rankings or TCU's too low, whatever it would be. I don't even know what complaints people would have, but um, of course, there's always gonna be debate in everything that we do. So we'll rattle off my top ten here and, and then I'll kind of get into a couple of the teams. I'm not gonna cover all ten and why, but a couple teams and what I saw this weekend that that kind of led me to these teams. So LSU's coming in at number one, Stanford at number two. Wake Forest, our brethren, Colin Palouse here, is going to be number three. I'm really impressed with what they showed this weekend, and I know it wasn't against the best competition, but there's definitely something to be said for the talent on that roster. Florida at number four, Louisville at five, Vanderbilt, they had a good weekend against some ranked opponents at six. Tennessee, yep, Tennessee's probably too high in your mind on my list at seven, TCU at eight. Arkansas at nine and Ole Miss at 10. I saw Ole Miss play Delaware this weekend, watched a little bit of the game. Hunter Elliott looked really, look really sharp. That lineup's really good and deep. It'll be interesting to see how they, how they respond to the national championship from last year, but the team looks very formidable. Arkansas has a billion guys that throw a hundred miles per hour, so their pitching staff is going to be loaded this year with our you know, our podcast love, Matt Hobbs is the pitching coach. So those are definitely two teams to to keep an eye on in, in the SEC. Obviously, there's a ton of SEC love there, not so much ACC as much. But, you know, the, t- the SEC has some of the best baseball in the country, so you got to give credit where credit's due. Uh, the first team we'll talk about here is LSU. Um, I don't know if any of you all saw this, but Paul Skeens is an absolute stud. Not to mention the fact that he rakes. Um, there's questions of whether he's going to be better as a pitcher or a hitter at the next level. I haven't come around to figuring out which one of those, I believe. Um, But what he showed on the mound this weekend was 97 to 99 with an absolute hammer slider. He had 12 punch outs in six innings. This is a guy who transferred to LSU from Air Force, which is such an interesting transition. And he was lighting the world on fire at Air Force. Um, Obviously saw a future in baseball, whereas if he went to Air Force, he'd obviously have his time in the military. So he wanted to pursue his career, which we who could blame him? Um, but when you step on the mound and you show 97 and 99 with an absolute hammer of a slider, I think the fastball was more sink than life. So it's kind of going to be a more ground ball contact pitch. Obviously, pitching against Western Michigan is a little bit pitch different than pitching against the Tennessees of the world. So we'll see how truly elite his fastball is when we get into SEC play. But for 12 strikeouts in six innings, you definitely can't complain. LSU's lineup, of course, that's kind of what they've been built on the last couple years, and we'll get back into the rotation, but um, definitely want to cover their lineup. You have Dylan Cruz, who's potential number one overall pick. Him and Chase Dolander are going to go back and forth this whole year. Tommy White, who transferred from NC State, he was out with an injury from. A shoulder injury, um, and that's worrisome because he's obviously going to be one of their focal points. Jordan Thompson had a home run. Gavin Dugas had a huge weekend, 750 on the weekend with two home runs. So it's good to see. Um, Trey Morgan, he's one of the most interesting Draft guys, one of the things I do want to cover while we do these episodes is a little bit of draft coverage because Trey Morgan is an elite defender at first base. He's an elite athlete, but he doesn't flash the power. He's a high on base guy, um, but hasn't shown much power in college baseball. And obviously, if you're going to play first base as a professional you got to show some power and, and that's going to be something interesting to follow is to see if that power does show up over the course of this season in that stack lineup. But he's one of the best athletes in the, in college baseball, really. And he plays first base. It's very reminiscent of Evan White, who played at Kentucky, played first base at Kentucky, was moved to the outfield for a little bit with the Texas Rangers. They dabbled, and everybody believed he could play center field. I think a lot of people feel the same way about Trey Morgan, what, more likely to play a corner. But it'll be interesting to see if his power does show up and if it improves his draft stock. And Jared Jones had a huge weekend as a freshman. It's really tough to see freshmen step in, but happens more and more recently, especially with the shortened draft. More talented guys are getting on the campus, and especially when you have schools like LSU – and Vanderbilt, and maybe this will be a topic that we definitely cover um, on one of these college baseball episodes. But the guys that choose to go to college because the player development and the lifestyle might be just as good as you're going to get in A ball or Double A, and and trying to work your way through the minors. Plus, with name, image, and likeness, can't imagine how that's going to change college baseball. How many guys want to come to campus? How many schools are willing to get? You know, high caliber seniors in on campus that that might have been entering the draft. And for the rotation, I, one of the things that stood out to me is is you had Christian Little, who is the Vanderbilt transfer, He's one of the best college arms to make it to campus last year. Went to Vanderbilt and now transferred to to LSU for his sophomore year. He was out of the pen, um, so he's probably going to be pitching in the midweek, I would guess. I don't know. It's interesting to see he came out of the pen and did not pitch lined up for the midweek but uh, thatcher Hurd, who's a ucla transfer and do you guys notice anything here a lot of transfers for this lsu lo- roster a lot of loaded really good players transferring in and making an impact you know hopefully right away and thatcher Hurd pitched out of the rotation at a really good pitching school at ucla he did not pitch this weekend either so they're what they should this weekend isn't exactly what they're going to be showing come SEC play. Um, they lost Grant Taylor to a torn UCL. He's going to need Tommy John surgery, but he will be back next year. Um, so that hurts their rotation, but Ty Flood, who did not start Chase Soares, a freshman started on Sunday. Ty Floyd came out of the pen, uh, pitched really well. He's a guy who got run for them late in the season last year. So it'll be interesting to see if he slots into that Sunday role and maybe they move the freshman out into the week midway. Week rotation. And then you have Riley Cooper, who pitched really well on top of Skeens with five and a third and seven Ks. You know, again, all of this is to preface that we have to wait until SEC play to see exactly how good this team is. But talent wise and on paper, it's working. This is a team that's going to be more talented than pretty much every team they play through the course of the year, if they ran all the way to Omaha off this off town alone, nobody would be surprised. And, and that's one thing to keep in mind. They have a little bit of a tougher test this coming weekend. We'll see Paul Skeens pitch Friday night against Kansas State. They got Iowa on Saturday, um, and I do not know off the top of my head who they're playing on Sunday, so uh, it'll be interesting to see how they handle a little bit more of a tougher competition than Western Michigan, um, but definitely coming out of the weekend, this LSU team, there's no No doubt about it. They are actually loaded and they're going to be a team to to watch every weekend and and especially when they get into SEC play. Another team I got to lay some eyes on was Stanford. Uh, One of the most impressive things to me was just their lineup and the depth of their lineup. You got a guy in Drew Browser who is an absolute study at two home runs over the weekend, hitting in the six hole on Sunday. That's just tough to be right. Like, when you have a guy who is high as highly regarded as Drew Bowser is in your six hole, that just shares your depth and your capabilities of your lineup. Six out of the eight in the starting lineup, I believe it, that was what was said on the, the broadcast, are preseason Golden Spikes Award nominees. So, just to put into perspective how many talented guys are just on that roster is just. Unreal. Tommy True is a top draft guy to keep an eye on. Braden Montgomery, Owen Cobb, Malcolm Moore as a freshman, had three home runs on the weekend. It's just a deep lineup that's going to give the Pac-12, which is obviously known for its crater parks, but they do have some high elevation, some short porches that you can definitely hit in. But you know, it's a lot of cold weather baseball early in that year. But this is a lineup that's going to give a lot of pitchers fit fits out west. Um, their rotation is not as good as you would imagine with a normal Stanford pitching rotation. Quinn Matthews, who came back for his senior year, pitched really well on Friday night. Uh, he went five innings, two earned, six K. So obviously that's going to be a guy who's going to head their rotation for for the majority of the year. Um, their Saturday guy, Drew Dowd, who's an upperclassman as well, a junior. He did he only did okay with four and a third, two earned, and three Ks. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that rotation kind of take shape. Stanford to me, obviously they're a West coast team. So, you know, unless you're a late night person, you're probably not paying much attention to them. They kind of just creep up on you. And next thing you know, they're in the top 10 for the whole year. So if you're not paying attention to them, they're going to continue to be in the top 10. They're going to probably be in the top 10 all year. It's just a really good baseball club, really deep. Um, I would like to see better them be better on the mound to, to kind of put my faith in them a little bit more. But with that lineup, they're going to compete in every weekend. They're going to score runs on any arm. You know, they're they're going to make any arm in that in the Pac twelve have a rough day and a rough weekend for most pitching staff. So Stanford's definitely a team that that as I watch them hit and watch their offensive approach was really impressed with what they have to what they have to offer. Wake Forest, as I said, our, our good friend Colin Palouse, our, our co-host on this podcast. He's, he's reminisces all the time on that 2017 group and. This team's got a lot of that feel to it, right? That 2017 group—they they they ran into a buzzsaw in Florida in the super regional. Obviously, we've talked about Collin pitching in those super regionals as a true freshman, but you know they ran into a very good pitching staff in Brady Singer, Jackson Coar, and that group. Alec Fiedo pitched that weekend too, so that was obviously one of the best Florida teams that pretty much anybody's ever seen. One of that rotation, Dane Dunning was pitching out of the pen at that point, and he made it to the big leagues with the White Sox. Um, and he was a first round pick by the Nationals. So to put into perspective of of what that 2017 team could have accomplished it is to say that this team's pretty close. I mean, I know Youngstown State in Illinois, Illinois was voted fourth in the preseason coaches polls and so not exactly the the class of the Big Ten, but really good program, above average program, um, for them to come down and, and kind of just handle their business. Uh, obviously, Wake Forest went 4-0. They pitched to a one five nine ERA as a group. Rhett Lauder, the reigning ACC pitcher of the year, is arguably one of the best arms in college baseball. Obviously, my love affection goes to Chase Dolander Dolan and what he has to offer, but Rhett Lauder is not much further off of him. He has an elite changeup that's able to keep Hitters off balance with a mid 90s, mid to upper 90s fastball. He looked spectacular. He went five innings, 10 Ks, you know, just dominating hitters on Illinois. Seth Keener, uh, he is a younger arm there and he went five innings, one hit with eight Ks. Sean Sullivan was lethal out of the pen. He had one save. He went four innings, 10 Ks, zero earned. Josh Hartle went five innings, one earned at eight Ks. And this is all without. Top draft prospect Teddy McGraw. Teddy McGraw is a guy who throws upper nineties, uh, just elite stuff. And you combine Teddy McGraw and Rhett Louder, you have arguably the best one-two punch in the ACC. Um, I wouldn't put him up with Tennessee's one-two-three punch, but that one-two-three, that one-two punch right there, along with those with Keener, Sullivan coming out of the pen, and Hartle, who all look sharp this weekend. You had the whole pitching staff pitch to a one-five-nine. That's good to see. Wake Forest on the offensive side—it's what they do. They rake. They hit 13 home runs on the weekend, and that's before it's hitting season, right? We talk about it all the time. I know it was warm down here in North Carolina, but usually you start to see the home runs go up when uh, when the weather gets nice. Wake just showed up this past weekend and hit 13, and again, I preface the fact of it's not the best competition. They didn't roll into SEC country and do it against one of the top teams in the country, but. You have Nick Kurtz and Adam Cessary hit four home runs each. I mean, have yourself a weekend. You had more home runs this weekend than some guys have in careers, myself included. So, you know, those are guys some, to keep an eye on. There's, the whole lineup rakes from top to bottom. They all rake. That ballpark is definitely hitter friendly, specifically right-handed hitter friendly. Wake does a phenomenal job in their player development with their hitters. We've seen it for years. It it's really comes down to their pitching. And this year is probably the first year that you can look at it and and say that, they do have the pitching comparable to that 2017 team that, that was able to make a run at it. And when you combine guys like Rhett Lauder, Teddy McGraw, Sean Sullivan, Seth Keener, and Josh Hartle and put them in a position to be successful with that lineup and at that ballpark, the key is going to be if that rotation can miss enough bats. And obviously this weekend it showed, I mean, you have every guy pe- punched out at least one in inning with, Sullivan punching out 10 and 4 innings over the weekend. Rhett Lauder punching out 10 and 5 innings. Keener with 8 and 5. If they miss bats and and teams come in there and they know that they aren't just relying on contact and they can actually go out there and dominate a lineup, and then their lineup's going to go out there and hit hit a couple home runs and keep them in every other ball game it's going to be tough to beat Wake Forest in a weekend series at their park and it's going to be tough to beat them as they hopefully make a run to their first appearance to Omaha this is a very exciting group um, to to kind of hang your hat on and, and hopefully finally make that leap to Omaha because obviously with Colin we're, we're big fans of what the Demon Deacons have to offer the last team that I really got to to lay eyes on and take some notes on was the Volunteers of Tennessee. Um, one of the things that stood out to me was was a the talent. Um, obviously they they replace a lot. That, that's what I think people don't understand. If you're looking at Tennessee this past weekend, I mean you have a veteran-laden Grand Canyon team that just has two high draft guys in their lineup. They got beat by a starter that was. Pretty good. I mean, they they played well. I didn't think they played bad. I was pretty impressed with how I thought after the the Cal Burke or the Cal Stark home run um, that they were finally going to get rolling there after their loss to Arizona on Friday night on, with tra- Chase Dolander on the mound, but they didn't. And then they played well against San Diego, but it was still just. Not the Tennessee we saw last year, right? Tennessee last year led the nation in home runs. They stole a ton of bases. It was just a dynamic offense. They played with a ton of swagger. This team's going to try to play with a lot of the same swagger. And who knows if they're going to be able to back it up quite as much as the team, you know, with Drew Gilbert leading the way last year and, and, that group was just different. Um, obviously, that group was a veteran-laden team that was able to kind of come together over four years. This team is interesting because of the fact that they're not quite a finished product, right? Maui Ahuna, the situation where apparently he bought his flight to Tennessee before he His transcripts were ordered, and that's why he's ineligible. You get that guy in the lineup. He's a guy I'm very high on. He's a guy that draft people are very high on, and being able to get him to play shortstop and be able to hit in the middle of your lineup at the top of your order, and he just brings such a dynamic piece to the lineup that they didn't have this weekend. The lineup didn't seem as deep as it did last year. Last year it rolled nine deep where you're like, God, this guy's really talented. I mean, Christian Moore, who's a guy I love, was coming off the bench last year. And when you combine all those things, it starts to put into perspective just how talented that group was last year. And Maui Ahuna is going to be that dynamic lineup to kind of stretch their dynamic piece in that lineup to stretch their uh, production one through nine. That rotation, though, it's going to be very hard to match that rotation on any given weekend. And I know last year they lost in a super regional. And it was came as a surprise to me. I thought with the rotation they were rolling out there last year that it would be hard to beat even in regional settings, especially when you're playing three game series. But Donlander is a true number one in MLB landscape. It's not just in college baseball. Oh, he's a Friday night guy. Now this is a guy who's going to pitch as a number one potentially in the big leagues. And he struggled a little bit this weekend, but he still had seven punch outs in four and two thirds and only gave up two runs if that's your bad outing pretty comfortable with having what you have to offer against an, a solid Arizona team um, who probably came out fired up you know when one of the hardest things in college baseball is to have a target on your back and to be able to respond right Tennessee put the put themselves on the map last year with such a good year and they probably pissed a lot of people off to be quite frank with you. And you're going to get everybody's best. You, nobody's going to show up and just let you play your game, let you do your thing. And, and you're going to scare them away. Everybody's going to bring their best baseball. You could tell Grand Canyon, that place was packed out on Saturday night for Chase Burns outing. Chase Burns, I thought when he was, when he was locked in and consistent, it, he was sharp, very sharp. And, and he's a stud, obviously, stuff wise. He was a high draft guy coming out of high school, pitched really well last year but when he loses it he loses it completely and i know that's that's the prototypical young arm you shouldn't be surprised that that guy has a you know kind of the high peaks and and the low valleys but You know, when he is on and when he's locked in and when he's throwing his off speed for strikes and he's pounding the strikes and he's getting his fastball elevated, he's dominant and he's going to dominate any team. It doesn't matter. The LSUs of the world, the Ole Misses of the world, these great lineups, he's going to pitch well. But when he loses it, he loses it quick. And that's kind of what happened. He only, he had the same exact stat line as Dolander. It was four and two thirds, two earned runs, seven Ks. But it was a sandwich of, Okay, kind of settle into your season, dominant, and you're like, this guy's going to go six strong and punch out 10 and then hit a wall. And then it was he's out of the game, and and you would have liked to get more length out of him. Then Drew Beam on Sunday, he looked ex- extremely sharp. He pitched a lot out of the rotation last year as a true freshman, and people didn't really expect him to pitch out of the out of the rotation last year uh, because they had so much talent on that group. But he looked extremely sharp, going six innings against San Diego and striking out six with no walks. That's what Drew Beam is. He's kind of the the polar opposite of Chase Burns. He's going to give you exactly what you expect on a week to week basis he does get swings and misses but not at such an elite rate that it's overwhelming and and lineups have to you know just kind of scratch and claw to put any balls in play but you know he's going to throw you strikes he's not going to give them free passes which I think is what this team needs especially with Burns on Saturday you know if Burns goes out there and lays an egg which I don't. Th- I think he should lay less eggs this year than last year. I know he didn't. He didn't lay many eggs last year, but you know, as he grows, as he matures, hopefully he'll start settling in. Then you have your true number one in Dollander. That rotation right there is going to keep them in any game. And I know we're going to talk about the lineup a little bit, but and where they need to go, but it's impressive to have that group of guys. Obviously they have guys in the pen that have experience. They have guys in the pen that, that throw smoke that are really good. Coach Anderson does a great job with the pitchers. Coach Fatello's a pitching guy. So, you know, they're going to develop arms and with those three on the, rotation. It's going to keep you in any game. I mean, it's the age old adage of pitching and defense wins you games. Well, it doesn't necessarily win you games without scoring runs because if you don't score, you can't win, but it definitely keeps you in every game that that you could possibly imagine. And for their offense, again, I kind of already went into it, but we definitely take for granted how good their offense was last year. Um, You lose guys and and you have to replace them. It, It takes time, right? This is a group that Coach Vitello, they were talking about it on the broadcast. It's going to take a little bit of time for them to come into their own to, for them to find out what works for them. And it's a group that I was really impressed with Cal Stark, who's a, who's a Juco transfer, obviously at a home run. So of course you're impressed with that guy, but I love the way he swings the bat. I love the offense's approach on heaters. To begin with, it's just fun to watch a team that just takes absolute hacks on fastballs. And a lot of the SEC teams do a really good job of that because their they're offensive development's just so good at that level. And those guys are so talented. But just to see guys that were just turning and burning on heaters and just trying to take advantage of, of mistakes. And, you know, it's an offense that last year they took advantage of a lot of mistakes. Um, it's going to take this younger group a little bit more time to get accustomed to being able to take advantage of middle cut heaters to fastballs and predictable counts just all the things that that come with truly being elite offense christian Moore he's my favorite player on the team he has so much swagger and he's just a ball player I remember watching him last year um kid from new York from brooklyn and and just coming out and just taking absolute hacks um and you know that it for anybody that knows me that just fires me up anybody who takes an absolute hack on a fastball. I didn't think he looked comfortable in the box. I think his swings were a little off. Well, how good is Christian Mori? He had four hits and a homer on the weekend on a weekend that I didn't think he looked great. So that shows how talented that guy can be, that he's just a walking, you know, he could run into a baseball at any moment and have a three for four with a homer day. He can also steal some bases. He's an exciting player and he, he's really going to bring that dynamic part of that offense. Blake Burke, he had a huge bomb against san diego that went halfway up the the berm at sloan park um you know it was impressive to see a guy go oppo like that and and he's going to be a dynamic piece of that lineup jared Dickey's the guy um he struggled this past weekend he got thrown out trying to steal a base. He only had like two hits out of 13 at-bats, but he's the, he's one of the only returning productive guys. Obviously, Christian Moore, I think, had the most at-bats returning, but Jared Dickey definitely played a lot last year. Just a great all-around skill set, and he's going to be the kind of guy that, that, ten- that embodies what Tennessee was last year, um, the kind of the speed and power combination. So it'll be nice once he gets going. And obviously, Maui Ahuna, they I thought they struggled a little bit at the shortstop position. So, getting him back is going to be huge for how good defensively he is and how dynamic of an offensive player he can be. And once this offense gets it going, once they start uh, swinging the bats really well and to combine with that pitching staff, that's going to take them, you know, keep them in any game, any series. This is going to be a team that's going to compete for Omaha. And I know they went one and two this weekend. I know a lot of people feel like they shouldn't be in the top 10. But there's no doubt that this team is a top ten caliber team, even after going one and two this weekend against good teams. I mean, Grand Canyon's a really good team. They're the reigning the WAC champions. They have a two potential early draft picks, one in um, who barely ever strikes out in Jacob Wilson, Um, and you know that's a good group, a good team. That campus looks absolutely gorgeous. Uh, Grand Canyon, if you're hiring a ops guy or director of player development who can work from home from Lillington, North Carolina, I would definitely be interested. Um, that campus would be amazing to go to and work for. Um, and then last, we'll finish with the, the game I was at. Um, I watched the game on Friday night because it was raining here and they were playing. And then I went to the game on Saturday or Sunday. Um, and it's Campbell and Ruckers. Campbell, like I said, they're on the outside looking in. We're going to go get another look at them tonight against East Carolina, who's obviously I'm really excited to see uh, Cliff Godwin's squad come down to to Billy's Creek and, and play here during a midweek. I wish it was a weekend series so we could see everybody's number ones and everybody throwing their best bet, but it's going to be a really good game that we have. Uh, but the Campbell group, you know, I, the lineup didn't – they scored a lot of runs, but they didn't exactly impress me. Um, On on Friday night against a very good pitcher in Drew Conover, they took advantage of a lot of mistakes. Um and just being able to do that is part of what makes a really good offense. But on Sunday they didn't take advantage of the mistakes and they lost sixteen to three. And that's kind of the difference, is they don't they didn't seem as dynamic as they have in the past. I mean, obviously losing Zach Nito is, is hard. He's a first round pick. But it'll be interesting to see that group kind of come into their own because Campbell's kind of prided itself on hitting a lot of home runs and stealing a lot of bases. I didn't see the size that's going to translate to a lot of home runs, but who knows, maybe those guys produce better exit velocity numbers and giving them credit for them. On the mound, though, I mean, Cade Kuehler, he looked sharp on Friday night. Um, it was tough, late, delayed start, warmed up. Shut it down, had to go out there, but that's an elite fastball, high vertically moving um, with a split finger off of it. That's just going to be gross. He's going to be a guy that's going to be called. His name's going to be called in the MLB draft early. Then they have a billion guys who throw in the high 90s out of the bullpen. I mean, on Sunday, their starter struggled, could barely get out of the second and third inning. They just bring in this Juco transfer who's 95 to 97 with a wicked split finger. It's like, Okay. Like, that's cool that that guy doesn't even make your rotation and he ate up four or five innings for them and, and look good. Uh, so it'll be their bullpen is deep. Their starting rotation is deep. They're deep on the mound. They're starting to, they just do a great job of developing arms. It's going to be a matter of seeing if that lineup does what Campbell's lineup's always done, right? Over the past couple of years, it's been one of the best offenses across the country because they're so good at, at, wrecking havoc. They're so good at doing damage. They're so good at combining the skill sets of stealing bases and hitting home runs. And I think that as a coaching staff, you have to put your faith in that group to to make the lineup be what it is. And then Ruckers, I mean, obviously as a guy from Delaware, a guy who recruited the Pennsylvania Jersey scene. Really impressed with what they were doing on the on the recruiting uh, scene. Um, they did a really good job in the transfer portal as well. Getting Drew Conover, who was a guy who was a drafted from Seton Hall. He came over. He wanted the pitches last year and enhance his draft stock. He looked okay. Um, struggled with command, but stuff is wicked. Mid 90s stuff with low slots, heavy sink. Really good sweeping slider that that got some swings and misses. Just needs to refine his command. That's fine. Um, but you can once he gets going, you have create. Chris Brito, who has a ton of juice. And then Ryan Lasko, who's going to be a guy whose name's going to be called early. And those are some veteran pieces who returned from a very good team last year. And then you combine that with the youth of Hugh Pickley and Trevor Cohen. Trevor Cohen had eight knocks this weekend as a true freshman. Unreal. That is unreal to think about. That is just so impressive to see a guy who's literally 18 years old facing mid to upper nineties guys. These Campbell's arms were not bad. And this is a dude who's, he's so quick to the ball. He's in the hitting zone for forever. He handles V low. He's going to do such a good job. He's just kind of one of that Mr. Consistency and Hugh Pickley, who's a catcher. I um, mean, he was rated the number one impact freshman in the Big Ten preseason. Super impressed. Left handed hitting stick, uh, tall. You know, strong arm moves well behind the dish. Love the way he swung the bat, aggressive on heaters, guy who got drafted and chose to go to Rutgers. He's out of Ontario. Um, it'll be super exciting to, to see what that group can do. Super impressed with what Rutgers has. They just have talent. I mean, New Jersey is a talent rich state for them to start to dominate the state is the most important thing. And it seems like they're doing a great job over there and, and it's very impressive. And it'll be fun to see what they're able to accomplish in the Big Ten, but. That's all I got for this week on, on the college baseball episode. We're going to be coming to you guys again probably twice this week with a couple of guests. Colin's driving out to Arizona, so we're going to be getting some good spring training content. And obviously we got college baseball. We got live college baseball. We're going to be out watching games. East Carolina at North Car- or plays North Carolina. North Carolina this weekend. Goldie B comes back in town, so we're going to be there. Make sure you're subscribing. Leave a five-star review. I know I've reached out to some of our loyal of loyal listeners, but it really helps um, if you just take the time, scroll down on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, and just leave a nice five-star review. It just helps make the podcast look good, and it helps grow the podcast. Share with five friends, obviously. Um, making sure you're following on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And just keep enjoying the content. Hopefully we'll, we'll keep bringing you guys as much content as possible through the baseball season as we get so much closer to the MLB season. And as the college season gets going, super excited for what the podcast has, but until next time, we'll see you guys on the next podcast.